Happy morning to you. It is Monday, December 7th, the day that will live in infamy. That's right. This is Pearl Harbor Day. I'm Todd Brinker. Uh, This is Back from the Brink. Aaron will be joining us momentarily. We hope that you had a wonderful weekend. Um, I spent the weekend kind of chillaxing, watching a little football, and uh, watching the world go by, I guess, yeah. And I had a little bit of a headache, a little bit of a stomach ache this weekend. Wasn't feeling 100%, so um, I didn't do a whole lot. Sat and watched sat and watched some football, watched my beloved Packers win in in what was kind of a blowout, but then kind of got a little dicey, but then we were okay, so it was no, no big deal. I was happy to watch that happen. Um, always a, uh, a fan of... Uh, of that, and I've been reading some books too, and I'll, I'll talk about that when Erin comes on in a little bit, just because um, uh, I know she likes to talk about books that she's been reading, and so I want to share some of those things. So, um, watched the football. Um, so Monday night they've got two games going on tonight. Washington and Pittsburgh will play at five o'clock Eastern, um, and Buffalo San Francisco will play at eight fifteen Eastern, which will be 5.15 on the West Coast. It'll be three, yeah, 2 o'clock. 2 o'clock for the early game on the West Coast and uh, and 5.15 for the late game. And then there's a Tuesday game that got pushed back, still dealing with uh, Baltimore. It'll be Baltimore and Dallas. Baltimore is uh, still dealing with their um, uh, bounce back from COVID issues. They've had a, lot, a bunch of people test positive. And so... Uh, Pittsburgh's game was the one that was supposed to be on Sunday, got moved to Monday to give them an extra day because they didn't play until Wednesday of last week. And then um, Dallas and Baltimore will be on Tuesday. So, uh, yeah, they're shifting their schedule around, dealing with COVID, such as the world of COVID. But they seem to be managing to still put on a football season and uh, try to make some some television money at least because most of the stadiums are – for the most part, empty, or if they're not empty, then they're certainly limited seating, depending on which state they're in and where they're at. Um, to that end, the state of California has said, or at least the uh, the area in the, the Bay Area has said, where San Francisco plays, that there will be no contact sports allowed. And so in order for them to play what was supposed to be scheduled as home games, they're now going to play uh, in Arizona. So um, starting next week, the 49ers will be... Um, actually, I guess starting this week, the 49ers will be playing in, uh, in State Farm Stadium in Glendale, Arizona. So that's where they'll be playing tomorrow, tonight, instead of playing in the Bay Area because they're not allowed to play football in the Bay Area. Yeah. COVID. What a year, huh? What a year. So, um, so there's this, uh, guy in the news, Caleb, uh, Bentham of Grass Valley, California, and he has a dog that he got from a rescue. He's a um, uh, pit bull mix that he named Buddy that he picked up from a rescue a few years ago. And Buddy was outside getting he they were out in the backyard, and and I guess a bear, a three hundred fifty pound bear attacked. Oh, here comes Aaron. Greetings, Aaron. How are you? I'm beautiful. How are you? 
good. So I was just telling the story about um, about the pit bull named Buddy and his owner, Caleb. They were leaving the house, and a 350-pound black bear came out of the woods and tried to grab Buddy on Thanksgiving Day and pull him oh away. Oh, my goodness. And apparently Caleb, without thinking, jumped on the bear and started beating the snot out of it, <laughs> hitting it in the <laughs> eyes and poke, poke, hitting it in the face and on the nose and in the eyes. And the bear dropped his dog and ran off. And so he tossed Buddy in the in the uh, car and drove to the vet. And the first vet he went to was closed because of a COVID positive COVID test. So he finally got to the second vet, and they were able to save Buddy, and he's recuperating. Oh but apparently God. the bear, apparently the bear holds a grudge. He was angry, or, or is acting as if he's angry that he lost his meal, and he keeps coming back to their house. And and so he's got this bear that that's kind of stalking them. So nobody's allowed to go outside unless you, you know, are looking around to make sure that the bear's not out there. Um, so I don't know what they can do to, to come and trank that bear and take it somewhere. Yeah, go go relocate the bear or something. But uh, uh, apparently, it's upset that it lost its Thanksgiving dinner and. Uh, <laughs> Dang. But luckily, you know, and let me say right off the bat, you are not recommended. It's not recommended to go attack a bear that's attacking, you know. I mean, you want to try to save somebody's life, do what you can to distract the bear or the animal, you know, or the animal that's attacked, you know. But you against a 350-pound bear is kind of a lose scenario. Um, so, the guy's lucky that the bear didn't turn on him and kill him. Where did this happen? Uh, this happened like in Northern, Ca- yeah, Northern California in an area called Grass Valley. Dang, that's uh, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Grass Valley, California, is. Let me see if I, I'm, I I'm placing it on the. I'm placing it on the map here. Grass Valley, California, is. Dun dun dun. Yeah, it's uh, northeast of Sacramento, due east of Yuba City. So it's about. Uh, Wow, it's probably only uh, fifty miles north of of Sacramento. Yeah, north, I think it's northeast just of Sacramento, Auburn, if I remember right, on I eight. So, uh-huh. yeah, it's probably about ten or fifteen miles north of Auburn, and about three miles south, uh, four miles south of Nevada City. Crazy. Yeah, and I, uh, Nevada City is the location of of a uh, Hallmark movie, Christmas movie. And that's how come I know the name of Nevada City, because although I <laughs> don't particularly care for Hallmark movies, they're on in my house 24-7. So <laughs> I've seen them all. So, yeah. Oh. Well, you know, like I said, seeing Virgin River, your your lovely wife will love Virgin River because, you know, yeah. she likes that. She's be- apparently been watching it for a while. So you guys can talk about it. See, there um, you go. You, there's there's uh, fodder for conversations. Well, I would I really uh, I wanted to watch a fun romantic comedy like um, you know something Christmassy something like um, mm-hmm. uh, what was the one where uh, I forgot what it's called. It's got Cameron Diaz in it, I think. And and anyway, I wanted to watch a cute Christmas movie, and I couldn't. Yeah, find there's one, one where over the Christmas holidays she and and somebody else trade houses. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, there was Jack Black and um, who else was in that? Yeah, it was a good movie. It was a cutesy tootsie. I'm sorry. It was just very cutesy tootsie. Exactly, and that's what I wanted—something kind of, kind of, you know, sweet and fun and 
And I couldn't find anything because most of them are poorly written, just uber schmaltzy, you know, syrupy, just ugh. And so I, I, I found that Virgin River was, was uh, there was a new season. And so I started watching that again. So love that show. Yeah, I wish I could. I wish I could remember what that show, what the what the house swapping show was called. I think Jude Law was the, the holiday. Host. It was called the what holiday, and it was Cam- the holiday. The holiday. Cameron Diaz, uh, Kate Winslet, Jude Law, and Jack Black. Yes. Yeah. There no, it's go. a very, very cute movie. Um, very sweetly done, sort of uh, Christmas in L.A. versus Christmas in in a quaint little like cottage in in england somewhere yes in surrey little, in surrey if i remember right is that what it was yeah and yeah. it's it's just it's uh yeah it's 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 a fun little movie it's not you know academy award-winning um uh work by anybody but it's an entertaining christmas movie eli wallach plays uh, uh arthur abbott in that too by the way um who's awesome um yes and that had to be one of his last films he was pretty old guy in filming that but uh yeah surrey yes in uh godalming and sheer a town and village on in the county of surrey in southeast england Ah. godalming okay godalming yeah godalming and sheer yeah okay crazy crazy people so you know um something else that i did this weekend you know, we, we were talking on the radio show about what I did. Besides watching football, I've actually read a couple of books this weekend. Um, I decided to uh, do some reading on the idea of eating more raw foods. And oh, yes. um, the former model, Carol Alt, has a couple of books, and she's a, a raw food um, person. And so I read two of her books and half of another book that I haven't finished yet by uh, Timothy Brantley, who's a uh, naturopath, uh, naturopathic doctor. And uh, all about the benefits of raw foods, and then I've read some online stuff saying some of the some of the pseudoscience behind that, and whether or not it's a positive or a, you know with the, how how much of that's hokum versus how much of that's you know based in in some reality, and uh, and I found it very interesting. So I ate some fresh apples and raw food diet. Uh, well, you know what? I think that I need to, and I and I have tried to. Um, I'm going to remain an omnivore. Um, although a lot of people don't realize, you know, when you say raw foods, it doesn't mean that you're not that you're that you're necessarily vegetarian or vegan. It doesn't mean you just eat all salads. You know, uh, the raw food people will eat uh, sashimi, and they will eat. Um, you know, they like like they'll they'll eat milk and eggs, but they they want the eggs to be. Uh, you know, they don't want things that are pasteurized because that means it's been heated up too much and you've killed off some of the um, uh, useful enzymes is sort of the concept behind the raw food eating. Um, I don't know that I'm going to start eating like, you know, excessive amounts of raw meat. Um, <laughs> but yeah. um, but I think that adding more raw food into my diet is probably a positive thing. And so I've tried to do that over the weekend. Possibly my stomach ache was due to the fact that I've been eating foods that are better for me than I normally eat. My stomach didn't know what to do with it um, because, you know, I eat a lot of, um, although we cook our, our own meals uh, and I eat mostly stuff that I've made at home, you know, a lot of that stuff is still um, processed in some way more so than than if you just ate it in its natural state. And so uh, so I ate some, some, you know, some veggies and had some guacamole and and 
you know, got some Ezekiel bread and had some sprouted bread with my guacamole and I've eaten some apples and, you know, I'm just trying to, to mix in a little bit more fresh vegetables and stuff into what I'm eating. So, and I think, you know, I wanted to do a little reading about it. So they're not difficult reads. So I read, you know, I got, got the, um, Kindle versions and was able to read through those books pretty quickly. So my problem is that I, I just, I like junk foods and I get bored and yeah. or stressed and I want to eat junk food and it's you know you there's vegan junk food and there's non-vegan junk food and it's all sure. still junk <laughs> yeah yeah you know? I mean you know a potato chip is vegan but it doesn't mean it's going to make you healthy no um, it doesn't so um you know that's that's my problem and I like fast food yeah um, so yeah and there really is not a lot of convenient fast food that is particularly healthy for you you know i mean you can eat better than than not but it's still fast food yes. you know it, you, it usually means that there's more fried and more grease and fat content in it than you would make it at home um and uh, or sometimes you can't even make it at home um and you know a lot of times restaurants out of necessity to be able to keep things fresh are using ingredients that have more preservatives in them because they can't afford to buy fresh every single day otherwise they'd go out of business there'd be too much spoilage so um so there's a lot of preservatives in things and uh you know that's the life we live and i don't like fast food salads for the most part i think that the lettuce tastes like bleach like they spray they're, stuff they're... on it to keep it from going brown yeah yes and, and, it, I, and I you just... taste it and I don't like it. So yep. I'm not a huge salad fan anyway. Um, but I have, yeah. you know, had a hard time. I'm having a hard time climbing back on to that vegan wagon. So yeah. since Thanksgiving, well, since right before yeah. Thanksgiving. Um, and I feel better when I'm eating vegan and being healthier. Um, uh-huh. and, but I also like chicken. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we went to El Pollo Loco last night because I like chicken. And I had well, a there you go. There you go. You know, um, it's, you know, and, and you could do worse when it comes to, to uh, fast foods or, or convenience foods, you know, than El Pollo Loco. I mean, you know, a, a grilled chicken is is going to be better for you in a lot of ways than, you know, a cheeseburger. But, uh, um, you know, y- y- we got to strike a balance. You got to find a happy medium. My, that has always been my mantra, you know, regardless of what I might be emphasizing at any one point in time. I, you know, I'm an unabashed omnivore and will continue to be. And, uh, you know, and there's times when I will eat more vegetables and I think that I could probably stand to have more fresh vegetables and, and, and raw f- foods in my, in my diet, but I'm not ever going to be a person who says, yes, I'm a raw food eater exclusively. Um, yes. although to her credit in, in, in Carol Alt's book, eating raw, she very clearly says, you know, it, nobody says you have to be, you know, but if you can get to where you're eating, you know, 60, 70% raw, you'll probably feel better, you know? Um, huh. and, and she has lots of, um, uh, you know, I mean, and that's probably part of why the books read easy because the back of each book has some recipes in it, you know, so there's a chapter or so of recipes and you look at it and, uh, you know, they call it uncooking, um, because you don't really cook it. You just assemble the meal, right? You're, you're preparing the meal. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that don't, you know, you wouldn't think of raw that way because most people think of raw as a salad or take a bite out of an apple or and that could get pretty old pretty quick. Um, you know, unless you're a chimpanzee, um, you know, uh, but, you know, 
even if you look at if you look at the diets of chimpanzees, um, they don't exclusively eat vegetables. They eat mostly fruits and and roughage and fiber, but they also eat insects, insects, but they also hunt and eat meat on occasion. You know, yeah, and omnivorous. it's it, yeah, they're omnivorous, much as we are. Um, but I just thought it'd be interesting to see, you know, since they're genetically supposed to be our closest relatives, what would be the, um, you know, what's the makeup of their diet? And it's primarily uh, the fruits and vegetables that they can find, but they supplement with insects and with meat. So, you know, eight or nine, 10% of it is is that. And, you know, if we balanced ours similar to that, we'd probably, probably feel better, um, you know. And so, you know, I just keep that in mind. Yeah. Doesn't mean I'm not going to occasionally have a steak, you know. And, you know, you mentioned El Pollo Loco. I love Juan Pollo, which is a local um, chicken chain. And uh, you can go get a Juan Pollo chicken for not too much. And it's, you know, slow cooked on a rotisserie, fall off the bone, delicious chicken. It is. And, and it's also marinated. You... It's delicious. Yeah, yeah, it's it's marinated in like a citrus type of marinade, um, you know, and they serve it with uh, beans and rice and and uh, potato best salad. Potato salad ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want good potato salad? You don't want to make it at home? Go get uh, Juan Pollo's potato salad because it's better than your average deli potato salad. Let me tell you. Um, you know. And you could look at the potato salad and go, well, yeah, but there's a bunch of mayonnaise and stuff in that. And the beans probably have a bunch of salt and, you know, and the rice is a grain that your body doesn't digest all that well. And you go, blah, 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 you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> you know, don't don't eat it every day. You, you know, know there, I, are, I, there are a couple of billion people on this planet who eat rice every day and they're just fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I I I like it. I'll eat it on occasion. And from my house, that's probably the closest restaurant. Well, that may be Miguel's Jr. Miguel's Jr. is pretty right. close, too. So, well, now that I think about it, I think I have to drive past the Jack in the Box to get to it. So so maybe it's not the closest restaurant, but it's close. Um, well, a Jack in the Box is not known for their healthy fare. No, no. Although I've got to say, you know, Jack in the Box is surprisingly, I mean... You know, they're, they're, they at one time were owned by Ralston Purina, and I used to call them people chow. But uh, their <laughs> their mix of, like, sandwiches and stuff is is pretty good, actually. I mean, if you're going to eat that kind of food, if you're going to eat fast food, um, you know, a jack-in-the-box burger is not bad. And, uh, um, I mean, you can take or leave their tacos for those who, who, who love the jack-in-the-box tacos. But... Uh, um, but they also do, um, um, fairly good breakfast. They have a croissant that's probably really, really unhealthy because there's a ton of butter in it. Um, you know, as fast food goes again, everything in moderation, right? Don't do it every day. Exactly. Exactly. So, so. um, we've, it's been a while, but we, we've talked about the queen's gambit and Tobin yeah. loves that show. Have you watched it yet? I watched it, yeah, yeah, right after it was released, and, uh, and yeah, and it's you excellent. Loved it. Yeah, it's excellent. So um, there is this. There's a, a post that's going around Facebook um, called the. It says the Netflix effect, um, uh, and on October 23rd is when the Queen's Gambit de- debuted on Netflix. To date, 62 million households have watched the show, 
inquiries for chess sets are up 250% on eBay. Mm -hmm. uh, Google search queries for how to play chess has hit an all-time high in nine years. Um, the uh, original novel, The Queen's Gambit, is now a New York Times bestseller, 37 years after its release. And the number of new players on chess.com has, has increased five times. Pretty stunning, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know how yeah. to play chess, but I'm curious. I mean, it's something maybe Tobin and I could do together. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, the, the rules are not difficult. The, you know, becoming an expert it, it is quite difficult. And um, what they've done through studies is found that those that are experts really start to learn and recognize patterns. And that's what it is. So you end up memorizing lots of patterns and seeing, oh, I recognize this pattern, so I know the right move to make at this point type of thing. Um, so it has a lot to do with, um, uh, you know, making good memory and recall of those patterns, that pattern recognition memory. So if you're strong at that, then you have the potential to be a strong. I mean, there's more to it than just that, obviously. But Right, right, right. Well, and, and maybe you're not going to be, you know, Gary Kasparov, yeah. but maybe you're going to be, you know, mm -hmm. you and your, your spouse or your friends or your kids or whatever. You guys can play it. Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, and you can have a lot of fun doing it because it's something that, um, you know, I mean, although more complex than checkers, it's not a terribly complex game. I mean, once you understand how each of the pieces move, you just take turns moving pieces, right? So yes. you just have to, to, to learn the the basic schema of how to move the pieces around because uh, each each uh, each of the different pieces on the board move in different ways legally you can you know some move one step at a time some move several steps and then one to the side or some slide diagonally some slide vertically some you know it's a, so each piece has its own rules about how it's allowed to be moved across the board which then adds to the complexity of the game well evidently so. it's uh, it's becoming popular and you know since we're all locked it's in anyway it's something you booming can yeah. Yeah. It's uh, something that you can that you do indoors. Yep, absolutely. And you know, if you've got somebody in your household who's also interested in doing it with you, um then it's a great way to uh to pass some time, especially if you're both novices to start, you know. If you're um if you're if one of you is, is has a lot of experience, then the other one won't have as much fun playing, right? Or or the experienced one won't have as much fun playing. So, um, if you can find a board, <laughs> indeed. if you can't find a board, take up go. Now I've not played that either. Um, that was a similar type of game of logistics, um, that is, um, uh, was founded in Asia and is actually considered more difficult to be an expert at. Um, and so... You might be able to get a Go board game. It's uh -huh. um, Go is played with uh, on a grid, but it's a significantly larger grid, and you have black and white or, or alternating colors of stones, and uh, and you play them out on there. I mean, I don't want to, you know, but anyway, it's also a game of, of thought and strategy, and so um, of similar similarness. Okay, they say Go is a short form of the Japanese word. Ago, which mean which probably derives from the Middle Chinese, something I can't pronounce. Encirclement <laughs> board game. Yeah, it essentially translates to encirclement board game or board game of surrounding. So, oh. 
Yeah, yeah whatever. I've, I've heard it's really hard. Yeah. It's an adversarial game with the objective of surrounding a larger total area of the board with one stones than the opponent. Huh. All right. Well, so, so maybe we should check it out. Yeah. So if you want to, if you, if you can't find a chessboard, get a go board and play go. I will say that go has lots of little stones. And if you lose the little stones, um, they're small. They'll get sucked up by your vacuum. At least chess pieces are generally a little bit larger and won't get sucked up by your vacuum. So, Keep if you, if you don't like having lots of little pieces around, then goes not the game for you. Well, it's certainly not um, around little kids, right? Yeah, they'll swallow right. Them. Yeah, they look like little M and M's. They're bigger than that, but you know, close enough. Peanut M and M's. So just beware. Just be aware. But they could be fun games. I wonder if board games in general are, are making um, you know seeing a rise because everybody's locked in at home. You know, in you know, I, chess, I will you tell know? you that that my kids on their Christmas wish list had several board games. Both of them did. Mm-hmm. Monopoly, so I think the, answer to that is yes. the game of life. Those are the ones that I played growing up, you know, uh, battleship Monopoly, life, battleship yeah. risk. Yeah. Played a little bit of risk at one point in my life, but not a whole lot, but yeah. Yeah. Those are the sort of the, the big traditional board games, right. In at least in our country, those are probably like the big three or four. And, um, yeah, so, but there's all kinds of, of strategy games and things that are out that I had not heard of that are on the kids' list. And I'm like, well, maybe mm-hmm. I want to buy one of those for myself because, you know, they tell yeah. me I could play games and we're sitting at home instead of just watching television or dinking around on the Internet, you know. Although mm-hmm. my my um, my dad's wife, uh, uh, the lovely woman that she is, just gave me a stack of books um, uh, a Bible and and um, uh, devotionals and that sort of thing from Spurgeon. I've forgotten his first name. Uh, um, Reverend Spurgeon. He was an English um, uh, pastor from the last century. Actually, I think from the one before that. Um, and um, I don't know much about him. I'd heard his name before. Don't know much about him. And so I'm super excited to dive into those. And they're all of mm-hmm. them are tomes. They're huge. So wow. I think that's going to keep me busy for a while. Yeah. Yep. That's the other thing I'm sure that's happening is that the, those of us who enjoy reading are probably seeing a, a, an increase in reading going on. So I found a list here of the top five board games in 2020 right now. One called Catan. I that don't sounds know anything like, about it. Like or World Catan II, Studio. That sounds like World War II, you know, battle kind of stuff. Yeah. It's underneath right? it. It says trade, build, settle. I don't know. Oh. Then Monopoly. Then a game called Azul, plan from Plan B Games. It's a game. I. Uh, they said this is a beautiful game, ideal for sipping coffee or tea in the cozy night. It's generally friendly for all ages. Players build colorful mosaics with heavy tiles. Behind the decorative style of the game is a clever puzzle. That will have players agonizing over every tile they take. The double-sided player boards offer a simple, advanced style of play. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And then, let's see. Number four is Pandemic by Z-Man Games. Ha ha ha. Whole family can work together several to stave off several dangerous diseases in this cooperative game where you win or lose together. Oh, that's kind of nice. I mean, I like the togetherness. The pandemic thing is a little 
too much on point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, would, and, I, I play a game to not have to deal with that. Thank you very much. Yeah, and then uh, there's a game called Villainous, and it's by Disney Games, and it's best. The one they say is best for kids. Highly engaging, well designed game for ages ten and above. Uh, aesthetically beautiful images, game pieces are finely detailed and durable. Popular game among adult Disney collectors. A game often lasts for an hour or longer. Oh. Yeah. So anyway, I you know, I've heard of one of those five. Monopoly. Monopoly. And that one, yeah, God, that came out almost a hundred years ago, right? Uh yeah, something like that. It's it's been around a long time. But you know, it's tried and true. It's a good way to kill a big chunk of time. So how quickly do you think these vaccines will come out? The, uh, I, I ask because, you know, I'm hearing so many different reports, uh, allegedly all of them from official quote unquote sources. And, uh-huh. you know, um, I think that, that, that those who are going to go first will start seeing them probably in the next month or so. But I suspect that, that the average schmo won't have access to them until probably the middle to the last third of last of next year. So, um, according to Axios, um, everybody in the U.S. who wants a vaccine will be able to get it by June at the latest. I think that's hey. too ambitious. I don't think that's yeah. I would say I would say between sometime between June and September is when they will be available to the public, readily yeah. available. You know, you'll be able to go and get it like a flu shot at your local CVS. That's my guess, is between June and September is when they'll be available. Yes, in theory. But, you know, even as, I mean, will they have enough doses for everybody to get them when they want them? Right. You know, I don't know. Yeah. I I mean, as it is, they run out of flu shots some years, you know. They do. They do. So um, there's another report that Pfizer said that that, um, by the end of this week, they could have, it's possible for up to 24 million Americans Oh, no, they said the end. They, they said um, uh, the vaccine made by Pfizer could be approved and made available by the end of this week. And then they say that up to 24 million Americans could be vaccinated by the middle of next month, according to uh-huh. White House estimates. I don't know that that's true. Yeah, but if those. But yeah. And, and well, I understand that that uh, like the Pfizer and the Moderna ones, um, that they were um, while they were in stage three trials, they ramped up production. And they just said, if it, if they end up having an issue and we can't use it, we'll destroy those. But they ramped up production so that they were already in mass production before they were approved. So that was – so they may have some, you know, a, a certain size stockpile. But realize 24 million is, you know, a, a small chunk of our population. And so those that will get it will be those that are at the highest risk, those that work in the healthcare, um, you know. And I'm sure the people who work in government will all get it because, you know, they feel they're, they're the most important people on the planet. So um, but they are so you and I, know? you and I won't be able to get it until, you know, mark my words, between June and September of 2021, it will be readily available for you and I. Now, then the, the question becomes how many people, what percentage of the population will take it? Right. Yeah. And at this point. They're saying, you know, about 60% of the people are saying they're willing and 
about 40% are saying, no way on earth am I going to let you put that in me. So, which is not enough to even get a herd protection from it. Yeah. You know. So we'll see. We'll see how that all plays out, you know. Um, okay, if when, when in thinking about the world post-pandemic, what do you think offices will look like? Do you think they go back to how they how they behave, you know, like how people worked before the pandemic or do you think that it will there'll be people will be doing more so less travel more zooming you know mm-hmm. more some people working from home do you what what do you think changes yeah i think that there are, it's going to be a mix there are going to be some businesses that are going to try to go back to the way it was and just say okay we're, we're back to normal now whatever normal is supposed to mean and and there are going to be some employees who are going to go i don't want to do that and then there are also going to be some businesses that are going to say, well, we're going to do a mix. We're going to have the offices here if you want them. And if you uh, and if you want to work a few days a week or or most of the time from home, then you can do that. And then they'll probably start some downsizing and stuff. So a lot of businesses that have uh, leased space will uh, get rid of their leased space because they're going to find they need less of it. I think we're going to see the uh, commercial real estate business get hit really hard because I think that, you know, there's going to be a good percentage of businesses that are going to say we're not going to come 100% back online in the space like we did before. We now have the infrastructure set up and we're just going to keep going this way. This works better for us. Well, especially so. in companies where, you know, they're in, they're in areas that are just wicked expensive. I'm thinking about, right. you know, some of these tech centers and, yeah, and in the Bay Area. where real estate mm-hmm. is just wicked, wicked, wicked expensive. Yeah. It's like, why on earth do I have to be there? And if you find out that you're in a job where you can do 90% of what you needed to do out of the office, then why on earth would you want to go into an office when now I think you're going to start seeing people doing that uh, thing that we talked about the other day is like, well, I'm going to work in Hawaii. I'm going to go live there. I'm going to go live, you know, in the mountains somewhere. As long as you can get a, a good Internet connection so that you can do, you know, be connected to your work. You don't have to sit in the suburbs 15 miles away from, from your office anymore. You can go live wherever you want. And I think that's going to be more and more a thing. Yeah. If, I mean, if you want to say what it's going to look like in five or ten years, I would say five years from now, more people are going to live further from where they work. Because you know they're what? going to continue to do this. We're going to see the, the, the continued growth of of or the the continuation of people working from home and at some point people are going to say well why does home have to be here i'm not going into that office anymore so why am i living here you know i want to go live where my family is or i want to go live where it's pretty or where i get to see snow or where i don't have to see snow or whatever it is that you decide you want so um you know one of the things that strikes me and i agree with you one of the things that strikes me is you know, the impact on climate that, you know, because we mm-hmm. heard a lot about, we still hear a lot about climate change, but the impact on climate with everybody working from home and, mm-hmm. um, you know, using the Internet to, to, to get their work done. So they're not in their cars as much. They're right. not, um, uh, you're not taking international flights as much. They're not doing, you know, even flying in general has, has dramatically dropped. Um, and I think that, um, that there's a significant case to be made for the benefits of working from home on carbon footprints. And, you know, oh, if, absolutely. 
if we have and and the the president elect has talked about climate climate being a priority if he makes it so you pay for your carbon impact your carbon footprint um i think that that will force employees to be working from home um for some for at least a few days a week sure well and california has has held businesses accountable for their carbon footprint uh for quite a while now and so there's incentives for you to to have employees that are not commuting or have employees that are closer to your home to cut down on the amount of travel that is you know that your your business causes by dragging people into an office every day and so um you know, at the beginning of this, the beginning of COVID, um, a couple months into it, the beginning, a couple months into it, now that we're, you know, creeping up on a year into it, um, but a couple months into it, there were some stories coming out about the fact that, that a lot of um, people who monitor air quality and, um, uh, you know, things that are directly impacted by car exhausts and stuff had come back so quickly that they were stunned that the quality of the air improved like almost by a snap of a finger. They expected that the damage that had been done would be there for a long period of time. And all it took was us to stop driving for, you know, a month and suddenly everything's like 50% better and continuing to improve. Yes. Uh, And that line of, of reporting disappeared pretty quickly because it didn't fall into the politics. You know, it didn't align with the politics of, you know, gloom and doom that our, that our, our air and everything is, you know, damaged beyond repair, and we're we're we've we've already you know gone down the slippery slope. Nothing will ever get better, and you know it's a shocking how resilient Mother Nature is once we just step out of the way a little bit. Yeah, and I think I, that we're going to continue to see that. Uh, yes, I agree, which makes perfect sense. I mm-hmm. mean, you stop you stop um, chugging out you know pollution, carbon monoxide, and yeah. the um, the air quality improves. Um, yeah. yeah, and and more quickly than most people would predict. Yes. In fact, more quickly than most people did predict. So. Yeah, it comes back very quickly. And, you know, you look at places where people pulled out of, even the areas, um, you know, around um, uh, the Russian, um, um, I guess it's in Ukraine, isn't it, where, where the... Um, where they had the core meltdown on their nuclear reactor. Um, yeah, that was in Ukraine, Chernobyl. Yeah, Chernobyl. Thank you. The uh, in the Chernobyl area, they they've blocked off areas basically as what they call the dead zone, and yet when people travel in there, um, because they do travel in there, um, it's stunning how much wildlife and trees and plants, and it's just it's 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 amazing how much that's rebounded to a natural state even with high radiation levels. And uh, there's a show on, um, I want to say, Discovery, maybe History Channel, where they go to abandoned places, buildings and things that have been abandoned. And, again, it's shocking how in just a few decades that stuff goes back to a a very natural state. Um, And, you know, there's plants and animals and all kinds of stuff there that, that are growing and thriving once the people just stop. They move on, you know? Yes, and, nature uh, takes over. Nature does what yeah. nature does. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I while I think we need to take care of our, our environment as much as we can, I think that, uh, you know, these shouts of gloom and doom and it's been damaged beyond repair, you know, the evidence says otherwise. The evidence says that, no, if we just, you know, slow down a little bit, 
everything will be fine, which is good news. It really should be good news. It shouldn't shouldn't be a political argument or a, you know, it should be good news, right? (laughs) Indeed. 100%. Absolutely. Yes. So. Yes. Yeah. So interesting news out of, and this has actually surprised me, um, Joe Biden has chosen Javier Becerra to, uh, uh, for Health and Human Services Secretary. So he is our, the state of California's Attorney General. I honestly thought that he would have been a good pick for a senator, but from the governor's perspective, a good pick for a senator um, now that Kamala mm-hmm. Harris is, is becoming vice president. But uh, right. Joe Biden has chosen him for HHS secretary. So um, Her- Javier Becerra is 62, and mm-hmm. he served, um, he was in Congress for uh, a dozen terms. So he was there yeah. for a long time. Well, president uh, outranks uh, outranks governor, right? So he gets his first pick. Indeed. Yeah. Well, and also Javier Becerra has to accept it. Uh, but right. I, I don't see him not accepting it. Yeah. Who who says no? Thank you, Mr. President. I don't want to work at, you know, help you rule the most powerful country in the world. Exactly. No thanks. And, and it's you know, lead. been in politics my whole life, but yeah, lead, lead, lead. Yeah, rule, lead. Whatever. <laughs> so the the Washington Post is actually calling him an unorthodox choice, um, uh, given that it, apparently governors have off, often been placed in those jobs. Um, but um, mm-hmm. you know they they you know I've, uh, but it's who he he is who Joe Biden wants. So mm-hmm. I'm interesting choice. So yeah. then then the race is on for who's going to become the Attorney General in the state of California. So who does, right. who, does uh, who does the governor pick? Yeah, who Somebody does Newsom else replace him with? So Newsom now has to replace an now has to replace an attorney general and a senator. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I hadn't heard anything other uh, about you know what he where he was leaning or what he was going to do with that. I guess technically he can't do anything until she officially resigns her position, and I don't think she'll do that until she's sworn in as vice president, right? I, I think so. Yeah. And that way, then there's not a, a gap there. Although it's not like if she doesn't, if she resigns, they lose their um, their majority because they don't have a majority in the Senate. Um, um, and he's going to appoint another Democrat. So, yes, you know, you would think that they would be coordinating this with each other, but you don't know that they are. I don't know what yeah. what extent they can. Yeah. So uh, maybe he's you know it's the funny of vetting people first. I don't know. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that they, they, you know, they can say, hey, when are you planning on doing this so I can have somebody ready to go? You know, that kind of thing. Yes. You know, I mean, they can't be that hard to you know pick up a phone and have somebody have one of my people call one of your people kind of things. You know, um, I was thinking it was kind of funny, too. It's just, you know, one of the, the senses that I get. And this is just my sense. It's not I haven't read it anywhere or seen it anywhere. But, um, you know, Joe Biden's been around the the horn a few times you know in 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 politics and at the at the national level and he's an older guy and i get the sense that he's going through and figuring out who he wants to do things and he's just like yeah i don't care you know if you if you don't if you don't like what i'm doing tough you know and i think he's telling that to his people as well as everybody else it's like this is who i'm picking i'm gonna pick who i want to pick you know and they're gonna you know do the thing i i in other words i don't think he's necessarily um listening to a lot of the pundits within his party. And I don't think he's necessarily, um, uh, you know, 
picking people who you would think are the obvious choices for things. I think he's just kind of going through and saying, you know what, I want to, I want to leave my imprint and I'm going to do it my way. So we'll, we'll see how that yeah. p- plays out for him. I mean, every president does that to some extent, you know, Indeed. and he's certainly one who has, you know, with all of his experience in the Senate for years is, um, wants to make sure that he plays that carefully so that he'll be able, you know, cause I mean, depending on what happens in Georgia, he, he may have a Republican Senate that he's going to have to, um, you know, deal with and try to, to get to agree with him on things. And so, um, you know, he, he's going to work that the best way he can, but he knows a lot of those personalities and those people in leadership roles within the Senate for years. And so he knows who he's dealing with. He does. He does. Yeah. So we you are know. completely out of time. We are. Time always happens. <laughs> so um, anyhow, everybody have a great Monday and we'll be back tomorrow. Uh, thank you for joining us. I'm Todd Brinker. And I'm Aaron Brinker. Have a great day, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>